Welcome to the second episode of the Miller to Grind show. Today, I have a very special guest. It's a lot to uncover. This man is world-renowned. He's been through a lot, and he's overcame a lot, and I would call him a champion. So right next to me, I have Jordan Jacob Branford. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, brother. Thank you for good, having me. Good, good, good. I really appreciate you. Good, good. So, uh, um, so Jordan, let's talk about your new book, 10 Tools for Becoming Unbotherable. What is yeah. that about? Okay. Uh, well, this book is it's a self-help book, and it's a, a book that I initially wrote that was founded in a fitness background. Mm-hmm. And during that... Uh, initial aspiration to share people, share with people uh, what I kind of feel like I've learned throughout the course of my fitness background and fitness history, which was the art of aging extraordinarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized there was more that I had to offer. So I initially aspired to write this book about how to age extraordinarily, but then it turned into something much deeper and a lot of self discovery happened along the way, and the book became a self-help book for personal transformation Mm -hmm. as well as spiritual transformation. And so the 10 tools kind of take you from dealing with your own stuff in the beginning. That's the first tool, deal with your stuff, but don't dwell on it Mm -hmm. all the way into the quantum realm of what we are in the last tool, which is the unseen. Okay. And so fitness inspires you to write this book. And I do see on your social media that you're a proponent of being fit. Absolutely. At 50, right? Is it fit at 50? Fit at 50, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. I, I did the fit at 40 thing, and it's 10 years later now, isn't it? So you still look the same? I, well, you know, a little grayer. <laughs> a little grayer. Three ex-wives, a little grayer. Okay, okay. <laughs> and how long have you been in the fitness industry? Uh, I got in the fitness industry uh, when I was about 24, uh, when I really started getting deep into it. And, uh, you know, what had happened was I got into weightlifting when I was about 14 Mm -hmm. due to the fact that I wanted to jump higher for basketball. And I've kind of come across uh, a man named Tom Hertz back in Oregon who was an Olympic lifting coach. And he happened to train his kids that he coached Olympic lifting to at Springfield High, where I used to go. Uh, I went to high school at and so I started seeing them do stuff. I didn't really get involved with him at that time. And uh, I just knew that I wanted to squat and jump higher. And I knew that Olympic lifting was going to be the way forward with that. But I just started off with the squats. And then I was in the weight room, didn't really know what I was doing. And then uh, I believe I was 23, 24. And I started getting into the real stuff at a place called Ironworks Gym mm-hmm. in Eugene, Oregon. And that's where I got mentored by some guys that kind of told me, hey, this is how this goes. Let's go this direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you ever play uh, any sport professionally or anything? Uh, like I played. I I tried to make the IBL in uh, Oregon when I was about thirty-five mm-hmm. because I I wanted to see if I still had it. My problem was I was always a hothead, and right. I had some. I, my offense was my defense in basketball. And uh, my senior year in high school, uh, my coach uh, Jim Fryback, he came up to me and he said, "You're not eligible." And like I was like, "What?" And he's like, "You missed like seventy days of school already." And I was like, "What?" Oh, and I might have been less than that, but I was like, what? So I started crying and went and asked all the teachers, please, please, you know, let me pass. And they let me pass and got away with some, you know, athlete type of stuff. But uh, I, I had a, a right high school uh, career, senior year especially. And then I just was a hothead and broke somebody's nose the next year, you know, during tryouts at a, at a community college. And, uh, you know, 
I kind of got blacklisted from even trying anything after that. And yeah, kind of right. took that. You know, sometimes you'll do things in life that uh, you're harder on yourself than anybody else actually is. So you kind of use it as a roadblock in your own mind. Right. right. And you're like, well, I can't do this now because I did that. And everybody else is like, why aren't you doing this? You still got this or that talent. Mm-hmm. And you end up not doing anything because, you know, you, you're paralysis by analysis right you're just yeah. overthinking it right and i was you know i looked at your uh one of your posts today and i saw you dunking mm. and i'm not talking about like regular dunks like you was like you know what i mean yeah and i, was, and I showed someone i was like look at this you know he's 50 years old still dunking so yeah you know you still have a passion for basketball so is 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 there any regret for you like not taking it seriously when you were younger, because it seems like it might be one of your passion if you're still dunking that fifth. It's definitely a passion of mine. I've always loved basketball because, you know, when you're going through things when you're really young, I found basketball. I grew up as a cross-country runner uh, with my Uncle Joe, and he got me into running, like, 10K race. My first, like, uh, sanctioned 10K race was when I was eight years old. And uh, so I grew up a runner, but then I got a ball in my hand one day, and I realized I can just go to the park by myself and not have to be around, like, the dysfunctional family that I, I was a part of mm-hmm. and like pretty much everybody has a dysfunctional family you know like in some way shape or form and so I could just go to the park and just shoot all day and I was terrible <laughs> and you know <laughs> the best exercise in the world is being bad at basketball you got to chase that ball down. <laughs> <laughs> right 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 wow yeah but yeah. I mean you also are like six three so yeah I thought, yeah I thought that probably was like you know one of the ways where someone would be like hey man why don't you play basketball you know well I you know it's funny epigenetically i think is why that happened uh, epigenetics i i willed myself i wanted to be 6'3 so bad because back when i was young 6'3 was like you know off guard three man even mm-hmm. and now it's like you, you got to be like 6'6 to even be a point guard but back then i was like 6'3 6'3 and i was 6'3 at 13 years old and i never grew again what i i hit 6'3 75 inches no shoes on exactly and then just stopped growing and no one pushed you to play basketball uh, well, no, I was pushing myself. I loved basketball, and I, mm-hmm. I, we were pushing it. And, you know, there was people. I had my uh, cousin, Dennis Garboden. He was really good. He ran track for University of Oregon. Wow. He was a great uh, athlete, and he was always pushing me. And he was a lot shorter than me, and he could still whoop my butt. So mm-hmm. I, uh, it made me competitive dealing with him. But, uh, yeah, I loved basketball. I mean, it was my main thing. I, I remember I, I, thought I, I thought I was a skateboarder from, like, 12 to 15. <laughs> right. And then uh, back in the Tony Hawk days in the search for animal chin, and um, I broke my finger doing a hand plan on a curb. My coach said, you want to play basketball or you want to be a skateboarder? And I was like, I chose basketball. Right. I don't really regret anything uh, because, I mean, it's like regret, guilt, and shame. It's like the most useless emotions ever because there's totally non-constructive for anything we do now. Mm-hmm. Like having remorse for things is, is essential. You know, we should be remorseful for things we've done. But to regret stuff, I don't regret it. And you know what I do kind of like have a little bit of like, well, I wish I would have done this, kind of. I was telling one of my roommates, I was saying, you know, I spent so much time focusing on basketball, which never even set me up for anything in life. I wish I would have focused a lot more on like self-development, mm-hmm. but we don't know about that back then really because no one was really talking about it. It was like man up type of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And so how was it, how far is Eugene from Portland? Uh, two hours. Yeah, it's about an hour and forty five minutes. Is it like yeah, hour, south. Like, oh, south of it. Yeah. Okay. And so, is the University of Oregon there? University of Oregon's in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, how was it growing up in Eugene, Oregon, in like the eighties? 
Man, Eugene was Eugene is it's Tracktown USA, you know, like it's where Nike was uh, founded and invented and everybody runs and you know it's a it's a very athletic town, mm-hmm. uh very liberal. It's a funny place up there. It's like so we have Interstate 5 I5, right? And it runs right through our city and cuts it in half. So you have Eugene, which is very liberal and open-minded, and then you have Springfield, which has become a little bit more open-minded now, but it used to have like, you know, we would have like the the cowboy style stuff in in Springfield, we call it Spring Tucky, mm-hmm. and then we'd have on the other side of the freeway we'd have like the Grateful Dead and all that stuff. But it was a good mix, and now everybody's kind of meshed together. But it, it's, it was a good place to grow up. I, I can't lie. I think that hometowns are uh, are good to go back to sometimes to to remind yourself that hey, this is why I am a certain way in certain ways, mm-hmm. and it's also good to get the hell out of there sometimes, so you can like expand and evolve right and see different things yeah for sure i'm pretty sure it probably was a small town it's a small town man (laughs) it's like it's like we call it the bowl because it's in the valley and you know i have a lot of friends up there that have never left and never got out of there and it's like one of those things sherman that you see people that have still that's what the book is about they keep reliving and re-experiencing these experiences in their existence and the problem with that is is that you're in total control of that and it's all in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like all this self-talk inside and all this talking about other people, it's just a waste of time. Like create, create the life you want right now because it happens now. There's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way, right? So, right. Yeah. And so what is like one thing that you went through in your childhood that kind of like that you would say is traumatizing that you grew from? Well, I had a... a a sexual molestation that happened when I was uh, six to eight years old. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I always minimized it. And my therapist, when I was in uh, Portugal in 2021 in rehab, uh, we got a lot of stories on back. Huh? I, uh, I talked to him about it and he was like, Hey, don't minimize that. But I've heard and been around so many much more traumatic stories mm-hmm. that I always thought, well, mine wasn't that bad. You know, there was no penetration, this and that. But it steals something from you when you're a kid. It steals your innocence. It steals your ability to say no. It makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel weak. It makes you feel scared. And then it also causes you to identify with that sexual part of your existence and being when you're really not ready to. And you should be doing other things because I I believe up until we're eight years old, nine years old, everything we ingest is like, directly programmed into our subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. So all of the the data we're receiving is just programming us. And that's why we're all indoctrinated on some level. But we're, we're being programmed and I'm being programmed like, wow, this man is touching me. Like, am I gay? Does this make me, am I bad? Oh no, God, all these questions in your head when you're a kid and you don't know what to do. And then you go and tell somebody and they're like, okay, Go ahead, go back over there now. Oh, they and, didn't believe you? Well, I, I think they believe me, but I think later on I find out it wasn't just happening to me. It was like multiple people, but people want to, you know, it's easier to just brush it under the carpet and, right. and brush it on the rug and just be like, well, that's all right. Well, blah, blah, you know, do the, the thing where you just look the other way. But, uh, you know, it just came to a point where I got to a point where I just looked at him in his face one day with the look like, okay, now what? What are you going to do? Like, here we are again. And it was like, never did it again. And then that just like, things moved a different direction. And I grew up and 
know, probably maybe somebody else was getting, you know, having that happen to them or maybe not. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, everybody's going through the process. I'm not mad at him. And even my mom recently visited me in May for my birthday, June 30th, when I turned 50. And I didn't realize, brother, that I had a whole bunch of molestations that happened from other people that just popped out. This is recently. I just had a shift. And this is when the book really took a move and evolution, evolutionary turn in my writing happened when I realized, oh, man, I've been holding on to something I didn't even know I was holding on to. Mm-hmm. And I just blew up at my mom. And I was like, ah, it all started off. She didn't remember where we parked. And I was flipping out on her. She was just visiting me for my birthday. We down in San Diego and I was flipping out. Telling her, why don't you remember? You better tell me where we park. I know where we park, but you better remember where we park. I'm like, why am I flipping? I realized it because she didn't remember stuff that I didn't remember. And when it came out, I, I just let her have, you know, all the tears coming out and stuff. This is like a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And man, I felt like a weight was lifted off of me so bad. And I didn't want to burden her with any of it, but it was a healing moment for me and her. And I didn't know why. Like, we had been fighting like cats and dogs, you know, we get along, but we're kind of getting along to get along yeah. instead of actually getting along and having some harmony. And I realized it was because I had all these underlying issues and, you know, I use my issues for the most part of my life to just continually relapse and self-destruct. Oh, I got molested. I'm going to just go screw myself up and do a bunch of drugs and just not have to be responsible. Right. And now when I look back, I'm like, it's a, it's a scapegoat. Relapsing is a choice. And I know I'm not talking about people out there that are suffering, you know, where they don't even know up from down. I've been there too. I've been up for nine days on meth before. I know. You don't know what's going on really. But, you know, we are holding and harboring so much weight from our childhood and our past and all these imaginary scenarios. Because the fact of the matter is, Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he talks about it. He says, 50%, bro, 50% of our memories are false. That's the new data. Mm. 50% of the stuff you remember is not even true. Right. We're, we're living fantasy lives in our memory that we didn't even really experience. Right. So that's, we get yeah, into that. Perception is everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for me, I've used that uh, experience from my childhood mm-hmm. or the illusion of that experience, you know, as I get into the book. But I use that to serve me now because I'm like, okay, first of all, I can relate to anybody going through it because I know exactly how it feels because I've experienced it. It's like, I can't, you can't experience the taste of a mango by me telling you, you have to go eat the mango. Right. And so I know what it feels like to be molested. I know what it feels like to be intruded upon emotionally. You know, I know. So, and you know, unfortunately I projected a lot of that later, not molestation stuff and not touching no kids or nothing. But what I'm saying is I projected that pain in ways where I was a womanizer. I projected it out on people that I was influencing to do drugs and, you know, deviant stuff back in the day when we were like kicking indoors and stuff like that. Not to incriminate myself, nothing, but you know All what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a limitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there we go. Here. Yeah. <laughs> last week. No, just <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's funny how there's a silver lining in everything. It really is. And I, I mean, I love that person that, mm-hmm. uh, initiated this this search in me long ago before I even knew a search was being initiated. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's not with us anymore. I, I, I forgive him. And, you know, I, I love my family on that side. I love, I love everybody that uh, is mentally a part of that 
that if it's if anybody's listening to this out there that is it's still weighing them down thinking about what happened to me or maybe what happened to them please release it because i've released it you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. and so when you said that you let your mother have it and that lifted a weight off of your shoulder like what exactly you don't have to say exactly but like no what did you let her have that made you be like okay um you know, I'm better. I let her, I had been holding on to a lot of the details of multiple molestations that I, I, I knew were there, but I didn't know how much they were affecting me and the gravity of them mm-hmm. that I let her know the details of it. Like this happened at that house. This happened with him. This happened with them. This, you know, because when you're the youngest of a bunch, and you're around like, you know, the parents are partying. This is back in the, you know, early, the late 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. The parents are partying. Everybody's drunk. Everybody, you know, you're with like 13 to 15 kids, all older than you. And you're like the, the youngest one. You got a little blonde hair and you're the skinniest little kid. You're going to get, you know, violated in a lot of different ways. And it's not just verbally or like physically like assaulted. People are just going to do things because it's a cycle, isn't it? Right. And the people, those kids aren't just doing that because they want to. They had it done to them, I'm sure. Somebody was doing it to them. It's just a big, long chain that we got to break the cycle of. And I'm glad that I was I was aware of it from the very beginning. I always felt, I mean, it, it caused some real traumatic things inside of me to wire. My, my brain wired in a weird way where I felt really guilty. Like, we'll say, like, with masturbation. Even when I was young, like, in my early 11, 12 years old, to even touch myself was like... <gasps> Uh, I'm gonna go to hell type of thing you know yeah. like it felt really bad I was really hard on myself about any of that so um but yeah man it, it, there's there's a lesson to be learned in everything and I mean you know who my 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 resilient resilience uh queen is my resilience idol is is Oprah Winfrey man like Oprah man she people can talk about what she does with the money or what she does with her with her power but you know what she put her place in to have this power and this money this woman was black mm-hmm. in Mississippi in the late 60s as a teen, overweight and societally like uh, considered unattractive, breaking into media, right. all white media. And she never, I mean, you know, she got spit in the face. She got told all kinds, and she went home and she, you know, we are a direct crystal clear reflection of our self-belief. Mm-hmm. Everything in our life is you, me. That's why you're being successful. You believe in yourself. You know, right. and I'm just now rebelieving in myself for the first time. You know, I mean, it's like Ludacris when he said, "Back for the first time," right? Yeah, and then you know, I didn't grow up with like a crystal stare type of childhood. Like I didn't have anybody believe in me. You know, but one thing I did know growing up is that I wanted to be a successful person. So I had mm-hmm. to, you know, I read a lot of books. I'm like a proficient reader. Like I read a lot. You know, I listen to podcasts. I get information. So. Ever since I was like 15, 16, when the internet came out, you know, well, not came out, but when I was able yeah. to like listen to stuff mm-hmm. and do research, all I did was look up, you know, self-help, you know, or self, or personal development. That was like my yeah. passion. Yeah. I was like obsessed with it because I was like, okay, I know where I am and I know where I want to be. Right. Because growing up in LA, you know, as a young black man, man yeah. it's like, we Can don't imagine. see anything positive about us at all whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. and the majority of households, if it's a middle class family, like, you know, your parents either work for the county or the government. Yeah. You know, you never see somebody was like, hey, I'm a, you know, attorney and I own right. multiple law firms or, hey, I own this car wash or this gas station. Like, you don't see none of that. Right. No real sense of ownership. But I knew, you know, me being a hustler back then, like I wanted to own business. I wanted to own systems, you right. know. So I was like, okay, 
I can't do it with the mindset that I grew up with. Right. So I have to do something more, do more research. And that's when I, you know, it's, I was just trying to find myself, mm-hmm. you know, converted to Islam at 16 after I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Right. Then, uh, you know, then doing research of all kind of spirituality and religions and things like that, because I was like, I have to fix my spirit first. Right. You know, that's like the first 100%. thing. You know, my spirit, my self-belief, I have to find myself. So, you know, I did research on Buddhism, you know, Islam, Hebrew, Israelites. I know about mm-hmm. it all. Even Satanism. Right, right. You yeah. know? That was important. Right. And it's not that, like, I was, like, about to go into that, no, I you know, exactly to what that religion. To I was like, I just want to know what's going on. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so being a, obtaining knowledge, you know, it's, like, one of the most important things that we could do in order to self-discover and then like, okay, I'm taking all of this information, putting it in me, and then I'm, you know, about to go. Yeah. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so when people ask me, like a lot of my friends, they kind of make fun of me. They'll be like, remember when you were a vegetarian or remember when you were this or you remember when you were that? And I don't really look at it as like a bad thing. I was like, man, I, I looked at something. I tried it. Tried to see if it was for me or not. Okay, it's not for me. Okay, I'm gonna do something else. Right. But I feel like self-discovery is is a continuous thing. Always, always. You know? Yeah, 100%. And, and we have to be fearless in order to You do have it. to Go be ahead. fearless. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I dove head first into Islam when I, right before I moved to Dubai. I was Muslim for 11 years. I don't really, I don't really claim a religion at this point because I, I left religion because religion left no room for humor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, like, it's not very malleable religion a lot of the time it's like people can turn it everything is the beautiful thing about religion though is that it's the structure there if you want to have it and i still pray islamically i just you know i i don't confine myself to the structure of any ideology right Mm -hmm. but like you said like your friends talking about vegetarianism and all that stuff it's like you cannot claim to experience or know anything about something unless you actually go experience it right you like uh what was it alan Watts was talking about you can't claim to know anything about a different culture unless you've gone and lived in india if you've lived in the middle east if you've lived in the philippines you can't claim you know anything from a piece of paper and people do this with religion all the time right and they do it with sexuality and they do it with sexuality i have a strong point about that because you know like the lgbtq community is kind of like very prevalent now right Mm -hmm. And we all have our prejudices based off of like what we heard in the streets. And I have a friend that's gay that lives with his boyfriend. And I went to Atlanta, you know, this is my guy. We went to college together. There's nothing anybody could tell me about this guy. Like that is my boy. Yeah. You know, he calls my kids, you know, nephew, niece, and I have no problem with it. Right, of course. So I thought to myself, let me sit down and talk to his boyfriend. And like really figure out like the mind of, you know, homosexuality. And he was like, I grew up and I never was attracted to women, you know? And I was just thinking about it like, how could I fault somebody that said that they were never attracted to women? Right. Like, what am I supposed, you know? And I just really like ask some certain questions, you know, and I'll I'll question anybody, you know? I'll be like, if I'm curious about it, why would I just listen to other people? Just go straight to the source and figure it out. Yeah. 100%. You know, when I wanted to learn about Buddhism, I went to a Buddhist temple yeah. and I sat with them. That's and all of the ignorant shit that I like was told 
was like totally false. Yeah. Like they believe in God. Yeah. You know, they believe in car. It's like, and then I started to notice that like, damn, a lot of this stuff is the same. All the same. It's it? all it's all the same. It's all the same. Like the way they prayed when I sat there, and I actually went to a a meditation a couple of weeks ago with a Jewish guy. Mm. You know, like my Jewish friend, me and a Jewish guy, and I'm Muslim. You know, or born Muslim. I don't, well, whatever. Yeah, we're sitting there in a Buddhist temple, sitting side by side, meditating and chanting. See, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So all of that you're saying is like true, and I just wish that a lot of people you know, in the world and the society will just like open their minds yeah, and man. actually like do that. And I have a funny story. Well, not funny, but a story about when I was in Dubai with my friend, right? And he was like, I guarantee you, because you know, Dubai is strict, you know, Muslim of the Muslims, you know yeah. what I mean? So we're there and he's just like, man, I guarantee you there's no churches here. Mm. And I was like, I guarantee you that there are. There are. Yeah, and then we, then we then <laughs> we went in Google Maps and I was like, boom, right there, seven-day events. Right, yep. They so a them. lot of the false things that you were taught about Muslims versus Christians and da-da-da-da-da, like the religious dogma that we're taught in America right. versus, yeah. you know, that doesn't exist everywhere. Right. No, not at all. I, America, like living outside of the country twice now, well, I stayed in Australia for a few months. I lived in uh, uh, Portugal for six months. I, I lived in Dubai for 10 years. You know, it was funny. I got a funny story. When I came back the first time, I was in Dubai for seven months when I had first moved there. And I came back to visit my son in Oregon. And within like an hour or two watching Fox News, I was scared of Muslims. And I was Muslim. I was like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> right. like, man, turn that off, man. I'm starting to get scared of myself. Mm -hmm. So uh, here in America, like we have a really warped, I mean, it's just no other way to say it. We have a really warped sense of uh, separation will say because when you define something you separate it from everything so when you define yourself or declare yourself or proclaim yourself something you've just automatically separated yourself from everything that you are claiming you are and you are not so when you define something now a strawberry isn't an apple it isn't an elephant it isn't a planet is it it's something else it's a strawberry and it's all by itself and that's not what we are as humans right you know what i mean that's not what we are as energetic entities mm -hmm. we are all one thing but i mean this is where like i have a forensic history background when it comes to um forensic history obviously mm -hmm. and i've studied it a lot oh my apologies and uh you know if you go back far enough i mean i'm not going to get too into it because i'm not trying to disrespect anybody's stuff without being able to have a full conversation and, and dialogue with somebody who might feel disrespected like nipsey said we got to change how we react when we feel disrespected because feeling disrespected and actually being disrespected are two different things. Right. But, you know, like even the word amen, like that comes all the way back from praying to one of the Egyptian gods back in the day, amen. Right. You know, like, and we don't even know what we're doing. We're just saying things. And, right. You know, words cast spells and whatnot. But, uh, you know, defining anything like that, and, and I feel like anytime you say you're something, you're saying everything you're not. Right. And you're just saying, nope, I'm right. And I'm not arrogant enough to say I'm, I'm more agnostic than anything at this point. I am not arrogant enough in my delusion, mm -hmm. in my current state of ignorance mm -hmm. to say that this is right. You're wrong. Right. I just it's silly to me. I just I can't do it. And I'm not going to. You know what? You know what happened, Sherman? I just became so tired of hearing people regurgitate 
their <laughs> chosen inst institutional indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Institutional indoctrination. It's like, oh, you're from uh, this church or that church or this school or that school. You're just regurgitating stuff. The only thing that should be regurgitated in, in life is philosophical ideas so that we can share them and expand on them because we don't even know what questions we should be asking at this right. point, right? People just keep talking about like Jonah living in the whale's stomach. Mm -hmm. That's the proof we, we have of God. <laughs> That's what we're talking about still because we have a CERN particle accelerator smashing atoms and stuff. Like there's so much, like this us, you and I even having this conversation mm -hmm. is proof of God right here. Like, you know what I mean? Like in my opinion, mm -hmm. and we're still telling these stories so that we can keep people in fear of burning in this fake hell that I don't believe in, you know, hell and heaven is right here on earth in our, in our mind right now. Yeah. I, I think that what an incredible marketing campaign that was back in the day by Constantine and the council of Nicaea though. Right. Like, Hey, oh, yeah. you're going to burn. If you don't believe this, like we believe you're going to burn. Oh no. And, but we've, we've never shed that. And we've just got our kids running around scared of dying and, and automatically saying, Oh, Oh, you're gay. You're going to hell. Like, no man, who are you? Like, yeah, you talking to yourself, everybody we see and speak to, and everything is in a constant state of communication. So you're talking to yourself, and that's what happened when I my family figured out that I converted to Islam. It was like you're going to hell. I'm like, who <laughs> said that I'm going to hell? You know, and then this is without them even like knowing what Islam really is. You right. know, a lady was like, if a plane is coming down, who are you gonna pray to, Muhammad or Jesus? And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, Muhammad is a prophet. Nobody prays to Muhammad. Yeah. You know, your peace yeah. be upon him, but nobody prays yeah. to him. But it was like a lot of people are speaking from ignorance. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was reading the Quran, and it said no matter if you're he, uh, Jewish, Christian, Sabian, you know, and all these other <laughs> religions, yeah. if you believe in Allah in the last day, you shall have your reward. Right. And, the, and in the Quran, it speaks very, very highly of Jesus and yeah. Mary. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, wow, I wonder if my Christian friends know this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, know what I mean? You know, in the Quran, people don't know this about the Quran, Christians, a lot of them. Jesus' Jesus' name is more is more often recited in the Quran than Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon them both. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus is in the Quran more than the Prophet Muhammad. Right. You know? And the thing about it is, it's like, this is what really baffles me still to this day is that you know, people still think God and Allah are two different things, <laughs> and it's just a different language. It's like in in Chinese, what is what do they call God? They don't call it God. Right. God, they call it some symbol that I can't even draw, right? Right. And then, like, I don't remember the other ones. It's Bog in like Serbian or one of these Croatian is Bog, and you know, people got it so confused. And the only thing difference is, like you said. Like back in Spain in the days, the Jews and Christians and uh, the the um, uh, it, Muslims were like all praying in the same synagogues and, and mosques and churches. They would yeah. all pray together side by side, mm -hmm. but then it got split up. And then uh, the problem with it all is, is that that's just a, a way to separate ourselves and hold tight to these egoic identities that we oh i'm this because that's how we, you can't define something in terms of itself right? right so we have to have something else to compare it to so we're always comparing which is natural it's human instinct to mm -hmm. do it and it's human nature to like oh i'm good because they're bad and that's how we do it right, right. oh i'm tall because they're short oh right. i'm black because he's white you know and that's what we do with life and we just got to 
come to a point where we're like just tired of that because it's just separating ourselves all the time, everywhere, all everywhere. at once. It's funny, man. I remember when I was in Dubai, you know, people were looking at me like, wow, look at you, you're a bodybuilder. Look, you're big. Because everybody out there is pretty small. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But out here, I'm just like a normal guy that works out. You know right. what I mean? Mm. But yeah, it's funny. And um, speaking of that, like defining yourself and you know, like with me, I often have a problem when people even, even like my father, you know, what do you do? I'm like, man, I can't even respond to that. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I do so many different things very right. well and I'm a creative person. It's kind of like hard for me to like define that. Right. You know, when people ask me like, what are you? I'm like, I mean, you know, I study Judaism, you know, Hebrew, Islam, Buddhist. I study it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I do not personally, I hate defining myself. Yeah. When somebody asks me, what do you do? I'm like, oh my God, uh, what should I just throw out there and right. tell them? Because I don't really know what to say. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like I'm just so much more than one definition. Yeah. And, and you uh, are. Yeah. yeah and I are. know like saying Islam, all you have to do is just give your Shahada and you know, you're Muslim. And then like, you know, you could go from there. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to do, right. pray five times. You don't even have to do Ramadan. Right, exactly. But because of the ignorance, it's like I do not like telling people that. Right. Because it's like it comes with so much other stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm no, saying? I get it. It's like you're opening a can of worms. Yeah, you. you know, so it's like at, by, you know, we're, you're still Muslim. I'm still Muslim. Yeah, we're born Muslim. Yeah, we're right? born Muslim. If you look at the, the definition of what Islam Islam and Muslim is like right. well, Islam is the submission, right? Right. To the creator. Right. And a Muslim is one who submits to the creator. What does a baby do? Yeah. A baby submits to the creator, right? That's yeah. the definition of Islam and right. Muslim. So we're all Muslim right. when we're born, and that's why we call it reverts, right? Because yeah. we're reverting to what we already were. And I'll, tell you, I'll tell people I'm Christian too. Yeah. You can't tell me that I'm you not. I was, that. I was raised in the church. I read the book of Matthew, and I am so excited to read the book of Matthew every mm -hmm. time. That's yeah. one of my favorite books. I even read books of Jesus that aren't even in the Bible, like the book of Mary, the book of Judas. Right, yeah. Like, I'm a huge the hidden fan books of that They try to hide. The, right. You know. I even read the book of Adam. You yeah. Know? Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad I found somebody you know, that shares a common ground with me when it Absolutely. comes to that, you know? Yeah. I, I don't really uh, limit myself to one I, I, I share. Like, I, I love the Tao Te Ching. I've been in that for the last about five years, and I've fallen away from it. And, like, even in the Tao, it says one who loses the Tao is, like, death itself. And it's like every time I get out of the Tao, the Tao is the, the way uh, is what the Tao translates to. And the Tao does nothing but leaves nothing undone. Like, the Tao is God. But it's like the Chinese version, uh, Lao Tzu had written it. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, you know, like, be humble. Like, just be present. Look at nature and how nature works. Nature doesn't try. Nature just does. Yeah. A tree doesn't try to grow to the height it grows to. It just grows to that height. Right. Stop trying so much. It's called practicing the art of not doing. Because, you know, we got to remember we're not doing anything. Rather, we're being done, aren't we? Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. Spirit yeah. Of, of whatever this creative force is that... We're, we're all trying to, which I touch on in the book because, I mean, it sounds like a bold statement, but it's just the fact. I mean, I've, there's the quantum field. The quantum field, this is what I talk about in the book a little bit. Nothing's ever been invented. There's no such thing as an invention. Because mm -hmm. an invention, by the definition, invention means something, creating something that has never existed before. Everything already exists in the quantum field. For the simple fact of this measurement, if you will, 
if we have an infinite eternal universe, by definition, everything has to already exist in it. Mm -hmm. So all the information for anything that ever is discovered in that field, the information and knowledge to create something, we can compile different understandings and ideas and stuff and things, but they all already exist. Right. They're all in the quantum. This is why Sir Isaac Newton did it. Like when he came up to a part in his um, studies and his exploration of what he was trying to explore, there was no math available at the time mm -hmm. to help his, him explain to his peers what he was trying to explain. So he didn't invent calculus, which is known as the, the, the study of con things in continuous change, right? He downloaded it just like Nikola Tesla was. Oh, yeah. They have these visions, which we can call a flash of insight. And that is just from information that already exists. Joe Dispenza, the Dr. Joe Dispenza, he gets into it a great deal because they do this. They do this uh, hemis hemispheric synchronization in, in meditation where you just start, both sides of your brain start working as one. Mm -hmm. And then we end up in this space where there is no body and there's no thing because you are no thing. Mm -hmm. You are an eternal awareness that consciousness permits to understand that it's awareness. You are consciousness in human form, but I'm not going to give the book away. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, right? So I do break that down to people as well. Like say there was a time, you know, but like say if you're a kid and you got lost in the 90s, mm -hmm. there was no cell phone. Right. There was nothing at all that you could do to be like, hey, I'm here. What did you use? You know, right. you use your willpower. Yeah. You use like, oh, I need to find my parents uh, and, or whatever. Yeah. You know, exactly. Next thing you know, they popped up. But then I'm like, that illusion. Not, that, right, right. But we're not even practicing that anymore because we have cell phones. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I tend to think like, like, how are we going to practice our willpower with all of these things enabling us? To just cut off, you know, detaches our brain. Us, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? It mm -hmm. like really detaches. That's that's a good point. It's like yeah. even back down back to the ancient, like um uh the, the teachings and everything. Like I get in like the ninth tool deals with hermetic philosophies, mm -hmm. like from Hermes Trismegistus, and uh, you know, it gets into all that because the further we're removed from those old ways of living, mm -hmm being one with nature eating whole foods you know deplacking our uh uncalcifying deep calcifying our pineal glands and stuff and, you know this stuff is like measurable science now it used to be like woo, -woo science like oh well yeah i mean you know it's like our brains ha have more electrical impulses in one day than all the cell phones in the world put together can Damn. you imagine i mean that that is incredible yeah we have all the power right here right now and it's like but if you go back, like you said, we've become so disconnected with that ability that we actually have. I mean, a single cell amoeba has sonar. I mean, how do we not? We, we do. Mm -hmm. We just lost track of how to do it, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Like in the 90s, now if we go back five, ten thousand, a hundred thousand years, people were so in tune with everything, right? They were in tune. And this is why I believe, in my opinion, and I explain in the book on why scientifically it's proven, like when they were saying in the Bible, like if a man only believed in move mountains because the mountains ain't really even there. It's all illusion, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. On a quantum scale, there, there's no matter. There is no matter. They can say like a neutron has this much mass, like point something to the negative 183 or whatever it is. I don't know. And then 
you know, a proton, and then in the proton, they got the quarks, and they can keep doing that. But this is the thing. We just haven't discovered the, the, the information and the knowledge necessary to create the quantum. The, the information is already in the quantum field. We haven't discovered it yet and tapped into it yet that will give us the information necessary to create the instruments to measure that there is no mass. There's no such thing as mass. Mm -hmm. We just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, and the numbers keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but we just haven't been able to develop the instruments of measurement needed to show that, oh, it's just like the hermetic philosophies. It's all mind. Three planes of existence, spiritual, mental, and physical, and it's all mind. There is no matter. That's great. That's a Millicent Grind motto. Spiritual, mental, physical. There we go. Yeah, seriously, because yeah. I'm like a big proponent of that because a lot of times people be like, okay, you're you're into fitness and they think that fitness is all that I'm about. It's just like, no, mm. that's necessary. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm also into spirituality and, right. you know, mental mentality as well. And all of that plays a part and creates Daytime. me as one person. Yep. You know, like, how am I supposed to be my best if I'm overweight I'm, I don't feel like I'll be my best if I'm overweight. Some people might, but I don't, you know, because right. I ain't grow up like that. You right. know, so I can't look in the mirror and look at myself in a way where it's just like, you know, I feel like I'm unhealthy and feel like I'm just going to go in the world and be the best I could be. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's like. You're projecting data when you go out in the world, too. And, you, I mean, it's it's proven, isn't it? Like, through the studies, like, you get a different level of respect when you look formidable. Mm -hmm. Like Jordan Peterson talks about it. Like, be be formidable, man. You're going to run into a lot less problems in life if you look like a person that doesn't need to be having no problems, you know? Like, right, right, right. Like, that's just how it goes. But the thing is, Sherman, is that people misunderstand is, like, the physical part's the easiest part, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The spiritual and mental part, our mind chatter is out of this world, especially now when people are on the phones all the time. But the thing is, I tell people, if you can control what you put in your mouth and what comes out your mouth, you can pretty much control everything else. And the second one that's the hardest is sexual desires. If you can start controlling those thoughts and have them whip up, I was celibate for four years. Damn. Yeah, man. I know, oh, man. Hey, oh. hey. Yeah, where's, where's uh, Smokey at? Where's Smokey? Uh, Damn. Yeah, so... Uh, Whoa, okay. Four years. Where were you at? You were in Dubai? I was in Oregon, yeah. You was, you was in Oregon? <laughs> yeah, it your was... Your hometown. Uh, well, here's what happened. After my last divorce in Dubai, before I ended up turning myself in prison for some self-inflicted stuff that I had done, I mean, I, I deserved to go to prison. It wasn't like nobody got physically hurt, but I, I was damaging people's reputation. I was damaging people's emotions, their hearts. Did you spend the seven years in prison? No, I ended up doing seven months, yeah. And is it because you paid that fine? Uh, well, no, I actually, we were really involved with the royal family like we still are my brother is the chief investment officer for Maktoum uh, properties I, I think it's Maktoum properties or Maktoum investments mm -hmm. uh one of the Maktoums over there amazing like this is the thing about it like people again people want to talk about people but they don't experience them like go sit with the royal family go sit with people you know people want to judge Islam go go live with the Muslim family for a month you will change your whole you you all this scary, you know, superstition about things is is all it's just all folklore. Yeah. Like this is not how it is. Like you go, they're the most loving women get treated. Like obviously, there's gonna be guys that are Christian that are in their front yard beating their wife. It happens, right. and there's gonna be Muslim guys that are beating their wife, and Jewish guys that are beating their wife, and Satanist wives, <laughs> you know, guys that are beating. Their, gonna happen everywhere human beings it doesn't matter what people claim because people have a tendency where the world's in this place now where 
People love to stand on their rooftop and scream their beliefs, but they never come down to apply them. Right. They just stand on the rooftop. And the, I believe this. I believe that. I believe that. Well, yeah, that's right. It's like all the guys that talk about my friend uh, Cameron Haynes. Uh, he's a, a real famous bow hunter. And they're like, oh, it must be nice. It must be nice to like, oh, be on steroids and this and that. This guy runs 100 miles in a run, one race. Like, mm-hmm. you think the state, you think a TRT, you think must be nice. This guy's waking up, been doing this for 35 years. You know, no, he's been busting his definitely butt. Definitely not be the only cause. <laughs> yeah, right? come on, man. Yeah, like, we know that. <laughs> so, so the royal family looked out for you. You got out and then you uh, moved back to Oregon. Oh, and yeah, we were talking about a, the Selvis thing. Yeah, so I guess that was a time where you was just like, man, I damn near went to prison for seven years. I got out. And were you like, okay, I'm going to be celibate in order to uh, self-reflect? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what had happened was I, I was still unconscious. I was mm-hmm. in my unconscious state of being. Uh, I was in prison, and then I was getting uh, deported. And when I got deported... I went right, I got on the plane, they put me on the plane, and I was drunk within a half hour. I was, had a sobriety, I, I had 11 years of sobriety in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And then I broke my sobriety when I was going, used the excuse of going through the court cases, yeah. you know, a, as an excuse to, uh, you know, oh, woe is me, all that self-pity. Popped the bottle on my buddy, I was living in the Burj Khalifa with my friend Daniel Mogul. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, it was good, we lived, I lived <laughs> for like three and a half years. He, he, my guy, man. My guy Daniel, big love to my friend Daniel Mogul. He, uh, my best friend ever. He, uh, he'd leave like a hundred dollars on the table for me. He, he, he caked up. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd leave a hundred dollars on the table for me almost every day. Like, go get your haircut and eat, and you know, come back. And I didn't pay rent for like three and a half years. <laughs> I got just chilled and then had my own room. We did big dinners and stuff. He's still my best friend, but uh, and we talk every day. But um, yeah, so I popped the bottle, and then it was just like I hid it from everybody. Mm-hmm. I drank a whole fifth of vodka. Mm-hmm. and I was still going through the court cases and he was actually he had left and left me some money um and he went back to the UK for a little bit to for the holidays so I was kind of using the whole holidays my family was all together in the US he was gone I was in this room and you know even the the people that were involved in my court cases from the royal family were like hey just stay inside don't go out here acting all crazy because I was saying a lot of crazy stuff online and you know I was in my ego and in my feelings big time trying to like um you know destroy people's reputations and you know just hurt people that mm-hmm. were involved with you know like ex-wives and stuff was what yeah. it was and uh so then uh i didn't drink anymore next morning i went down there, i was like Bleh. you know after 11 years fit the uh, vodka went down to the gym in the Burj Khalifa the next day worked out i was like oh i'm not doing that again and then my friend daniel came back and uh he's a red wine drinker and he handles himself well when he's on alcohol i've never seen him raise his voice to anybody you know really a class act and and we're out drinking or out eating at a place called the Meat Company. And uh, lo and behold, he gets some wine. I said, pour me a glass. And he didn't know how to drink the vodka. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, don't do it. 11 years. Like, it ain't 11 years no more. Let's drink. So uh, I say all that to say this. I got, I ended up in prison, put myself in prison, got out seven months later on a plane, drunk, got back, thought that I was going to be conscious and get my life together, but I just kept drinking. The reason I want to sell of it was when I knew I was going to go to prison and I was out there acting wild drunk and stuff after he got back and we had the wine and got into my day drinking stuff because we were just drinking. Mm -hmm. I thought that I could mask all the pain that I had created by just being super promiscuous. 
And it got to a point, I, it was like 11, 11, you know, wonderful, God bless them all, <laughs> females in, in nine days. And I just woke up one day and I said, man, you're disgusting, man. Like, stop it. Like, you know, it's like, you, my spirit was broken because mm -hmm. it was taking a piece of that divine energy that I had every day. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I knew I just felt awful. Mm -hmm. And I just went in the other room and woke him up and said, I'm, I'm turning myself into prison today. He's like, what? And we had our little moment. And, you know, we talked for about an hour and I just took a cab to the jail and turned myself in. And then they all, you know, and so that's when my celibacy started. So, oh, in prison. Yeah, so pretty oh, easy okay. to be yeah. celibate in prison. I yeah. mean, unless you, you know, go both ways, which I don't. You know, <laughs> I mean, I've skinny, so you, I so skinny you. dip with my gay friends, but I, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm confident. They call me the gay straight guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, okay, and then you, when you got deported, you discontinued it. And, you know, I just continued drinking, and acting silly, and like, no, no, you continued the celibacy. The, the celibacy, thing. yeah. You, you know why? Because after that eleven month, uh, that eleven. Uh, those 11 promiscuous uh, interactions in nine days. I got back to the U.S. and got my blood work done and I was all clean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've never been a fan of condoms. So it was one of those things where I got back, I was like so grateful. I was like, ooh, this is a sign. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into this kind of like, I'll be honest with you, it was ego back, jump back in. All the, when I got back to the United States, I had this thing, you know, up in Oregon, especially in Eugene. Some of the younger little girls that, you know, were like, 26, 28, oh, Jordan's back. Oh, he went to Dubai and never left Springfield, Oregon or Eugene. Oh, I was this thing for a second. Mm -hmm. And it was funny when I wouldn't give in to their sexual advances, they wanted me more. So I started using it as like a game, like, oh no, I'm celibate, I'm celibate. And so then I just ended up staying celibate that way. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you right now, even I've, I've had sex five times in four years right now, right now. Damn. So I've, I've had sex five times in uh, seven years total now. Might as well be a monk, man. I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now it's very interesting because we're in such like a, you know, like a sex-driven society. So mm -hmm. for me to hear that, I never heard a man say he's been celibate for four years. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like you talking about that and like letting us know that journey is very, very powerful. Yeah, I, well, you know, Sherman, to be honest with you, like at this point, I'm so thankful that I, I've unintentionally made that choice recently even because I, I need to like, let's be honest. Look at you, man. You're a good looking dude. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm not chopped liver. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm not chopped liver. It's readily available at all times, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think 90% of it for men is the chase. Yeah. And when you don't have to chase, and I, I have been, you know, in my past, you know, extremely promiscuous at times. And it wasn't chopped liver women. It was, you know, some of the most beautiful women you can imagine in the world. So it's like, where do you go from that? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've had the, the best sex you've ever had in your life. You know, you've, you've, what do you do? What are you trying to recreate? What, now I'm looking for something to stimulate me intellectually. Mm -hmm. And if a woman can't stimulate me intellectually, she can't stimulate me physically. I, I've, that's been proven physically yeah. when I'm around certain women that just, you know, don't bring to the table what I'm expecting somebody to bring to stimulate me that way. No disrespect to them. We're all in different, you know, um, uh, not levels, but we're on, on different spaces of our process, yeah, different points of our process. Yeah, yeah everybody's like doing their own thing. And yeah. like, I feel like I'm headed towards, like I tell people like, I'm not enlightened, 
at this point, like like a like a monk. But I have arrived to the welcome mat at the door of enlightenment, and I can kind of see the the light. How would you know that you are enlightened? I don't think you would know. I think you'd just transcend and be gone. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. Do so that. that's an interesting thing, man. But then, like, say. I had an argument with one of my friends. He was like, you know, I don't want my sons to go out there and mess with all these women and blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, you did that. You experienced it. You have to. Yeah. So it's like you, it, it's like the experience lets you know where you want to be. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you like, have to have it. Yeah. You have to have it. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you didn't like look at you you know, having sex with multiple women is like that was a bad thing. No, it was it was it was great. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was yeah. it was just an experience. It was that time. It just was. It yeah, was that time. It was that time. And, and and now you know, you know where you want to go. You know, right, I mean? exactly. Like you, you, I wouldn't say you grew from it, but then it's like you just realize something different because there's guys that be on that type of time until their dying day. You know what I you mean? You know, and I can respect that. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm, I would never say, like anything I say on here, Sherman, is I'm never coming from any point of uh, authority, mm -hmm. from any perspective of authority. I'm just trying to share my experiences. And I, this, I found this, I've been through this, and now I found that this is what works for this if you're trying right. to go over here. Right. And I know that uh, sharing that energy with just anybody, it, it, it doesn't uh, produce any, any uh any productive outcome it's yeah. um, not productive but progressive outcome like you don't get anywhere just sleeping with people all the time like in my opinion like yeah you could do that and that's the thing like i feel like i'm like at a point where i've become intellectually capable enough to understand that i'll just be abusing people right now if i do that because mm -hmm. I do have the ability to go out there and just be, I've been a womanizer. Mm -hmm. I've been a womanizer. I've I validated myself through women's attention for 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have the baddest one on my arm, I didn't want her. And then, you know, that only lasts a couple of days. And you're like, oh man, what about that one? Now she got better curves and she got better eyelashes on now, right? Like, I mean, it just turns into that. And that's just like the hamster wheel. And I don't want to be on that hamster wheel. Plus my whole, like the whole reason I wrote this book, and I talk about this in the book, I wrote it, my initial aspirations was to encourage and try to help one person in Watts, in Compton, in Left Rack, Queens, somebody that's in an, an environment that can't see past their nose. Mm -hmm. And they got everybody around them telling them what they are and telling them what they can and can't do. That go in here, go inside your mind and zoom out right. of this personal microcosm you're in. And look at everything from a whole, from a scientific view, from a spiritual view, and realize you are in total control of what you think. It's like Mandela, right? Like he had that shift where he's like, wait a minute, why can't I, why can't I get out? He told himself for 20 years, 15 years, I can't get out of here. I'm never getting out of here. And then one day he's like, why? Wait a minute. Wait, I can get out of here. And he did. Right. And it's like, I just want to help somebody. Because like the Buddha, you know, you studied Buddhism. They say, Enlightenment and happiness, it's just the end of suffering, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all suffering in some way. Me and Solomon were just talking about that earlier. Like, everybody, like Kim Kardashian's tears are just as real as my tears. Right. Like, tears are tears. Right. And everybody's suffering in some way. And if I can just help somebody try to understand that they have all the power to reduce their own suffering now. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was in prison, there was a, uh, there was a, a jail uh, in the States. There's a book called We're All Doing Time. 
And this family, uh, this husband and wife, they had tried to smuggle some marijuana into Cuba uh, back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was them and one sailboat and their buddies and the other wife and this other sailboat. So husband, wife, husband, wife. They got talked into it. The other, the other couple got uh, arrested, 20 years in Cuban prison. They didn't. So they made it their, their life's purpose to go around and teach people how to turn their death row cell into a sanctuary. Mm. And so that's what I, I'm trying to do with the book. I'm attempting to do at least is give people some relief from their suffering, even if they're out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. Right. That's why I want to get it translated into French because a lot of French speaking friends of mine are from Cameroon and Congo and this and stuff. Yeah. This and, this and that. And it's like, we can have peace now if you let go of everything you're, you're grasping and holding on to so tightly, which is always a desire. Right. We're desiring this. We want some, if we can just accept things and take things for the way they are instead of how we think they should be, mm-hmm. we're just instantly relieved. And a lot of people don't realize, like I didn't when I was six, eight years old, I didn't realize I have a voice. Mm-hmm. You can stand up for yourself. You can be a 10-year-old kid that's getting like, you know, traumatically abused and go walk your ass to the police station and say, I'm getting abused. Yeah. And these kids and these people need to know this because there's people, it's going to make me emotional because, you know, I, I, I put myself through a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I know that pain and I put myself through so much self-inflicted misery that was unnecessary, but now I know it was for this. It was so that I can help one guy in Watts that doesn't even want to come outside because all the kids are going to beat him up and he's been, you know, just totally ostracized by his local community and he feels less than and he's not. We have the power of the universe and a single proton inside of us. You know what I mean, bro? Like everybody, nobody is special. Nobody's special. We all are unique, but nobody's special. Right. Which is like the Tao Te Ching talks about. It says, you take, the, take a 30-spoke wheel. You take two spokes off, the wheel's still going to work. Mm-hmm. It's going to work better with 30. Right. We're, we're the spokes. So we ain't important because the wheel's going to work without us. Right. But it's going to work way better with us. Right. So, I mean, that's what I'm trying to just share with anybody and encourage them to, like, don't give up. And hope is all people have sometimes. So just, if you ain't going to give yourself hope, don't take somebody else hope from them. You know what I mean? Right. And so, closing, in closing, I would like to ask you, like, when you're gone from this earth, what kind of legacy would you want to leave behind? Love. I just want people to feel when they, when they, um, <laughs> sorry. When people think of me in the future, I hope that they can just feel love. Yeah. I love you. Man. I love you too, man. <laughs> I love you too. Man. Yeah, man. Appreciate you, I appreciate man. you, man. Like, this has been amazing. You know, for all of you out there, again, um, check them out. Jordan, Jacob, Bramford, Instagram, TikTok. You're on YouTube as well? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just going to be on your YouTube. Okay. <laughs> For now. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, appreciate you again, man. And hey, man. Yeah, we're going to talk man. soon. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. Thanks no for problem. Time. Appreciate you.